I'm excited. I'm excited every time I come to spend time in the reading of the word because God always reveals something new. He encourages us. He builds us up. What a great time to start the day. Now, I know for some of you, this is not the start of the day. I got people in Turkey. I got people in Florida right now, Boston, South Sudan, Alaska, South Africa, Lombard, Illinois, Memphis, St. Paul, Minnesota. I got Kingston, Jamaica, South Carolina, Australia, uh, Noblesville. I probably said that wrong. Noblesville. That's probably the right way to say it. Indiana, South Africa, Murfreesboro is in Tennessee. There you go. So we got people from everywhere coming together to spend time in the reading of the word. And I'm excited because I believe the Lord has something to say to us today as we spend time in his word. I have nothing prepared, guys. I'm just here to read with you all. And then I'll just share whatever the Lord is speaking into uh, to me today as we spend time in the reading of the word. Um, this isn't a Bible study. This is just a reading and a meditation of scripture. That's why I call it a rant. So that way I keep your standards very, very low. Hey, what's going on, brother James? Good to see you. Good to see prophet James in the house. Um, and you know, and as I said before, this is really to encourage you to spend time in the reading of the word. I'm reading with you. That's what I want you to do. And I want you to read with me. If you just read and that's all you do, and afterwards you get off and you go on with your day. I'm okay with that. You don't have to listen to my rant because I got nothing prepared. I'm just ranting at this point. Um, so I keep the bar really low. But I do believe that every time we come together, the Lord has something to say to us and to speak to us. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to get right into it. We're going to be reading Jeremiah 34. As you guys know, we've been reading from Genesis all the way we're reading from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We've already read from Matthew to Revelation. Now we're reading from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And um, if you have been journeying with us, you know that we've been going through uh, the, the the chronicle of, uh, sorry, the book, the prophetic book chronicled by Nehemiah. And so I want to encourage you guys to spend some time today. Um, <laughs> your bar, your low bar is still a low bar. Uh, I love that. Um, so let's get right to it. We're going to pray. And really all we're asking is, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning people? And God, what are you revealing concerning me? Catalyst guru. That's exactly right. I rant all the time. That's all I do. I, I rant. That's what I do. Um, and so, uh, I want to encourage you guys right now to just prayerfully consider what the Lord has to say as we spend time in the reading of the word. Remember, we want to read to get the main idea for today. I won't be able to exposit or exegete all of this, but I do believe that the Lord has something to say to us today. So, Father, I ask as we engage in your word today, Lord, I pray Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us. We're asking today three questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? We're asking God, what are you revealing concerning people? And we're asking, Lord, what are you revealing concerning me? <clears throat> so, Lord, as we read your word, Lord, speak to us. Lord, reveal your heart, your will, your desire uh, for your people, for us individually. Bless us in this time. We ask that in your name we pray. Amen. Let's get to it, guys. Let's read. Chapter 34. And it says this. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army, all the kingdoms of the earth under his dominion and all the people fought against Jerusalem and all its cities, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, go and speak to Zedekiah, 
king of Judah, and tell him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. And you shall not escape from his hand, but shall surely be taken and delivered into his hand. Your eyes shall see the eyes of the king of Babylon. You shall speak with, he shall speak with you face to face. And you shall go to Babylon. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you. You shall not die by the sword. You shall die in peace. As in the ceremonies of your fathers, the former kings who were before you, so they shall burn incense for you and lament for you, saying, Alas, Lord, for I have pronounced the word, says the Lord. Then Jeremiah the prophet spoke all these words to Zedekiah, king of Judah and Jerusalem, when the king of Babylon's army fought against Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah that were left against Lachish and Essekah. For only these fortified cities remained of the cities of Judah. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. After the king Zedekiah, sorry, after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people who were at Jerusalem to proclaim liberty to them, that every man should set free his male or female slave, a Hebrew man or woman, that no one should keep a Jewish brother in bondage. Now, when all the princes and all the people who had entered into the covenant heard that everyone should set free his male and female slaves, that no one should keep them in bondage anymore. They obeyed and let them go. But afterward, they changed their minds and made the male and female slaves return, whom they had set free and brought them into subjection as male and female slaves. Therefore, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I made a covenant with your fathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, saying, At the end of seven years, let every man set free his Hebrew brother who has been sold to him. And when he has served you six years, you shall let him go free from you. But your fathers did not obey me nor incline their ear. Then you recently turned and did what was right in my sight, every man proclaiming liberty to his neighbor. And you made a covenant before me in the house, which is called by my name. When you turned around and profaned my name, and every one of you brought back his male and female slaves whom you had set at liberty at their pleasure and brought them back into subjection to be your male and female slaves. Therefore, says the Lord, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming liberty, every one to his brother and every one to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim liberty to you, says the Lord, to the sword, to the pestilence and to the famine, and I will deliver you to trouble among the kingdoms of the earth. And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant, which they made before me when they cut the calf into and passed between the parts of it. The princes of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf. I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. Their dead bodies shall be for meat for the birds in the heaven and of the heaven and the beasts of the field. And I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his princes into the hand of their enemies and to the hand of those who seek their life and into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which has gone back from you. 
Behold, I will command, says the Lord, and cause them to return to the city. They will fight against it and take it and burn it with fire. And I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. Hmm. Chapter 35. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Joachim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of the Rechabites, speak to them. And bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Then I took Jezaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, his brothers and his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, the man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes, above the chamber of Messiah, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. Then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine, cups, and I said to them, drink wine. But they said, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, you shall drink no wine, you nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house, sow seed, plant a vineyard, or have any of these. But all your days you shall dwell in tents that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, and all that he charged us to drink no wine in all our days, we, our wives, our sons, and our daughters, nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in, nor do we have a vineyard, field, or seed. But we have dwelt in tents, and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. But it came to pass, when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up into the land, that we said, Come, let us go to, up to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwell at Jerusalem. Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction to obey my words, says the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he had commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed, for to this day they drink none, and obey their father's commandment. But although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, you did not obey me. I have also sent to you all my servants and prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way, amend your doings, and do not go after other gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given you and your fathers, but you have not inclined your ear nor obeyed me. Surely the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them. But this people has not obeyed me. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring on Judah and on all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all the doom that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken to them, but have not heard. I have called to them, but they have not answered. And Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab, your father, and kept all his precepts and done according to all that he commanded you, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me 
forever. Chapter 36. <clears throat> now it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, that his word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take a scroll and a book, write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel, against Judah, against all the nations, from the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah, even to this day. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the adversaries which I propose to bring upon them, that everyone may turn from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll of a book at the instruction of Jeremiah, all the words of the Lord, which he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah commanded Baruch saying, I am confined. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. You go, therefore, and read from the scroll which you have written at my instruction, the words of the Lord, in the hearing of the people of the house on the day of fasting. And you shall also read them in the hearing of all Judah who came from their cities. It may be that they will present their supplication before the Lord. And everyone will turn from his evil way, for great is the anger and the fury that the Lord has pronounced against his people. And Baruch, the son of Neriah, did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, reading from the book the words of the Lord in the house, in the Lord's house. Now it came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month, that they proclaimed a fast before the Lord. All the people in Jerusalem and to all the people who came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem. Then Baruch read from the word, the book, the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord, in the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, the scribe, in the upper court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house, in the hearing of all the people. When Micaiah, the son of Jemariah, the son of Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the book, he, he then went down to the king's house, into the scribe's chamber, and there all the princes were sitting, Elishama the scribe, Deliah the son of Shemaiah, Elnathan the son of Akbor, Gemariah the son, or Gemariah the son of Shaphan, Zedekiah the son of Hananiah, and all the princes. Then Micaiah declared to them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read the words, Right, when Baruch read the book in the hearing of the people. Therefore, all the princes sent Jehudi, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Shalumiah, the son of Cushi, to Baruch, saying, Take in your hand the scroll from which you have read in the hearing of the people and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the scroll in his hand and came to them. And they said to him, Sit down now and read it in our hearing. So Baruch read it in their hearing. Now it happened when they had heard all the words that they looked in fear from one to another and said to Baruch, we will surely tell the king all these words. And they asked Baruch saying, tell us now, how did you write all these words at his instruction? So Baruch answered them. He proclaimed with his mouth all these words to me and I wrote them with ink in the book. Then the princess said to Baruch, go and hide you and Jeremiah and let no one know where you are. Verse 20. And they went to the king into the court and they stored the scroll in the chamber of Elishama the scribe and 
told all the words in the hearing of the king. So the king sent Jehudi, the son, sorry, Jehudi to bring the scroll. And he took it from Elishama, the scribe's chamber. And Jehudi read it in the hearing of the king and in the hearing of all the princes who stood beside the king. Now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with a fire burning on the hearth before him. And it happened when Jehudi had read three or four columns that the king cut it with the scribe's knife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Yet they were not afraid, nor did they tear the garments, the king, nor any of the servants who heard all these words. Nevertheless, Elnathan, Deliah, Gemariah, implored the king not to burn the scroll, but he would not listen to them. And the king commanded Jeremel, the king's son, Sariah, the son of Ezreal, and Shelemiah, the son of Abdeel, to seize Baruch, the scribe, and Jeremiah, the prophet, but the Lord hid them. Now, after the king had burned the scroll with the words of Baruch, the words which Baruch had written at the instruction of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and said, take yet another scroll and write on it all the former words that were on the first scroll which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, had burned. And you shall say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, thus says the Lord, you have burned this scroll, saying, why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and cause man and beast to cease from here? Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have no one to sit on the throne of David and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat of the day and the frost of the night. And I will punish him, his family, and his servants for their iniquity. And I will bring on them all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and on the men of Judah all the doom I have pronounced against them. But they did not heed. Then Jeremiah took another scroll, gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote on it at the instruction of Jeremiah all the words which the book of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And besides, there were added to them similar words. I'm going to stop here and I'm going to just share one thought with you as we uh, continue to journey and we're getting close to the conclusion of uh, the book of Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah is the longest of the prophetic uh, or the, the books or the prophets as you know, the Bible, the way it's organized, we see um, the first five books uh, are the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then the books that follow that are what we would call the historical books, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. Really, 1 and 2 Samuel is just the book of Samuel. It's just been broken up into 1 and 2 Kings, um, which is the book of Kings. First and Second Chronicles, which is the book of Chronicles. Then you have Ezra and Nehemiah, which Ezra and Nehemiah is really essentially one book. It's the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. We've broken it up into two books, Ezra and Nehemiah. And then you've got <clears throat> the book of Esther. And then Job, which now you transition into the uh, what we call the poetic books. Um, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. And then we move into the prophets, Isaiah. Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, of course, is the book that we've been reading at this point. From the Pentateuch, 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all the way to Nehemiah, and you can include Esther in that. These, there's a chronological thread to it. There's a story being written of a people. And the people who are at the center of the story are the Hebrews, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, the children of Israel, or more specifically, the children of Abraham. You go from Adam to Noah, from Noah to Abraham, from Abraham to now uh, to Israel, and from Israel to now the children of Israel, which was broken up into 12 tribes, and 12 tribes really came from 12 families, which came from the 12 sons of Israel. <clears throat> and they became a nation in Egypt, left Egypt. All this is chronicled throughout the book of Genesis. Exodus, they're in Egypt, but they leave Egypt after 400 years. And then uh, then you go into the book of uh Numbers where they leave Mount Sinai because they get to Mount Sinai. They make a covenant with God and then they leave Mount Sinai. <clears throat> In the book of Numbers, they're journeying through the wilderness. Um, you know, we call it the book of Numbers, but really it's a book of the journey of the children of Israel through the wilderness. So notice it's historical. We see a historical thread through this and, and we see who's at the center of the story. It's Israel. Israel is at the center. Um, Israel is the is a people that threads all the stories and the histories of all people, and and so this and so what the scriptures have done up to this point is is they've brought our focus to the children of Israel. They were given a law. They were given a covenant. Remember, they were given a law. They were given a covenant. Not us. They were given the law. It's funny how we read the Bible as if it's written. Um, directly and specifically to us without first acknowledging that the scripture is written directly and specifically to the children of Israel. And then to see what the implications of that are to us. That's the thing we get wrong sometimes is we read the Bible ignoring the historical narrative, ignoring the historical element of the scripture because the implications of that, it, 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 let's put, let me back that up. It leads to misinterpretation when you read that. So when you read from Genesis to Leviticus to then uh, Genesis to Exodus to Leviticus, then to Numbers, and then to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy now is this next generation of people because the first generation, because of the lack of faith, did not enter into the promised land, but were stuck in the wilderness. And so the next generation needed to hear the law again. That's what Deuteronomy literally means. It's the law again. It's the second Law. It's the repeated law. It's the law again. And so they received the law. And so <clears throat> the children of Israel received the law again, who leads them out of the wilderness into the promised land. It's Joshua. And then we see judges. Joshua takes over the land. He um, subdues the land. And after subduing the land, the children of Israel fell into idolatry. They fell into serving what the Canaanites, the, the, the neighboring nations served. And so the same people that they overcame, now they're submitting to the same powers that those people had overcome. The same mentality, the same mindsets, the same things that those people had overcome. It's funny how often 
we will go back and believe that this way of living is the way that we ought to live, not realizing that it's never worked then. So why should it work now? You know, if, if what didn't work then didn't work then, what makes you think it'll work now? Anyway, that's another conversation for another day. And so we see now the journey of the children of Israel as now we see, we see the historical journey of the children of Israel going from now from Joshua to Judges. Judges, they fall into complete moral depravity. They've become not only the, the, the surrounding Canaanites, there's no distinction from them and the Canaanites. They fall into the same sins and the same things that the Canaanites fell into. And I, and I, I want to point this out because it's so critically important because this is what Jeremiah is actually exposing as well is when we talk about the children of Israel backsliding, I want to make sure you understand what that even means. Because we talk about backsliding, we think, oh, you know, they just weren't obeying the law and they weren't obeying the Ten Commandments. And, you know, I think I think we, we, we don't acknowledge how far down they've gone, how dark it's come. These people now were in the practice of sexual exploitation. They were in the practice of slavery. They were in the practice of um, human trafficking. They were in the practice of everything that God is against, that God was against and that God is against. And not only did they traffic humans, but they sacrificed them as well. This was the Canaanite way. This was the Canaanite way of serving their gods. When we talk about the worship of their gods, I think we forget what they looked like. And there's a lot I can't say because I don't know who's actually watching here, but it's the kind of stuff that you wouldn't even want to watch on TV. Like it's, it's, it makes Game of Thrones look like, I don't know, Coco Melon. <laughs> okay. This is the kind of stuff that the children of Israel had fallen into. This is the lifestyle that they've lived now. It's a life of exploitation, sexual exploitation, the exploitation of children, the ones who were most vulnerable. The law was intended to protect, and yet now the ones who are most vulnerable are the ones who they now um, have exposed power to. And, and this is why, not Coco Bellin, exactly. And this is why, yes, correct, prostitution in the temple, exactly. So we saw all of that, child sacrifices, all that stuff. And so Israel has become that, and this is why now Israel has played the harlot. We read through the historical narrative. We've seen what happens in the book of Kings. Not only were the kings given the task to lead and to shepherd, but now they were also they were also given the task to be a representative of God, the rule of God, the sovereignty of God, the extension of God's rule, and yet these kings were not that. They were not that. And so unfortunately, here we are. We find that the children of Israel are now going to fall under the same demise, the same consequences that many nations many times before us, before them, had fallen into. And this is where we are. This is where we find ourselves here in the text. Is Jeremiah, when we read the prophets, we read Isaiah, we read Jeremiah, we're seeing now the purview and the perspective. We already read about Jehoiakim. If you guys remember from before, if, if this is your first time reading, by the way, or first time participating, 
Go back, check out the other reading rants. We've read through all this before, but we've seen this already. We, we've, we've attended to this already. And now we're seeing the perspective of the prophet. We've seen it from a historical narrative. We've seen it from the perspective of the historian, the perspective of the king. And now we're seeing it from the perspective of the prophet. And Jeremiah now is writing. And what I love about Jeremiah, which is the distinction I think that Jeremiah has, aside from being the, the, the largest of the, the prophets, as far as the writing, is Jeremiah provides, as I mentioned yesterday, a soteriological foundation. Jeremiah provides us a solid foundation for which now we see the work that Christ does later on down the line in the text. That's another conversation for another day. And we'll see this come up because, again, it isn't a surprise that Jesus brings up Jeremiah in his teaching. Because Jeremiah now is providing an understanding of covenant and of the establishing of a new covenant and the necessity to establish a new covenant. Let me say that one more time. Jeremiah is exposing the necessity to establish a new covenant. It wasn't that the old covenant wasn't good enough. It wasn't that the old covenant was it was this old the 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 the, the contract this this law that was written in Genesis uh, sorry in Exodus that that at the um, at Mount Sinai I'm sorry and 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 this law that was written to the children of Israel this contract that was given this this agreement that was made it wasn't that the agreement wasn't good it was that for the agreement to work two sides had to fulfill their end of the bargain. God was fulfilling his side of the bargain. The children of Israel continually failed to fulfill their side of the bargain. And we see this over and over and over and over and over again, that even though Israel was unfaithful, God remained faithful. Because the contract wasn't about God being right. It was about God establishing relationship with his children, with his people. God was bringing reconciliation to all humanity through a people. And this contract that he made with this people coincided with him setting these people apart to be the nation that God intended them to be, to bring all humanity right with him. This is what the law was intended to do. It was intended to make them distinct. It was intended to make them separate. It was intended to um, to make them mediators, to cultivate them as mediators, a nation of priests who would show the world what God is like. And yet the old covenant, not that it wasn't good enough. It was that one side of it, one side of the the agreement and the contract wasn't good enough. As long as one side doesn't fulfill the agreement, the agreement is broken, especially for the purpose by which the agreement existed. And so what Jeremiah is exposing here in his covenantal theology, because Jeremiah is introducing a covenantal theology here, is Jeremiah is introducing that the problem wasn't the law, that the problem was the people. The problem wasn't God's law. You're the problem. The problem isn't God's law. The problem is your heart. The problem isn't God's law. The problem is your motives. The problem isn't the law. The problem is the sin in your heart. 
And what Jeremiah is exposing, as you see this, and I'll iterate this over and over and over and over again, as we begin to see now Jeremiah shifting directions in the text, as Jeremiah now is, is he, he's already prophetically spoken into what the, the consequences that we've already read before, but now he's spoken this and he's told them and now he's writing it. And I'm going to get to that in a second, but Jeremiah is exposing something. What he's exposing is, is that the law wasn't enough to keep the children of Israel in right standing with God. The law wasn't enough for them because they were not enough. <sighs> That's the thing about human nature. You can make a promise. How many promises have we made, y'all? Let's be honest. How many promises have we made? Anybody know what it's... Anybody, I know somebody got to testify on this. I know somebody's got to testify on this. How many times? How many times have you made promises to God? Like how many times have you said, God, I'm going to do better. God, I'm going to be better. God, I'm going to stop doing this. God, if you do this for me, yes, if you do this one thing for me, God, I'm going to live right. And I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I don't make this mistake again. And I'm going to, man, I'm going to do the right thing. Oh, this time I'm going to do the right thing. How many times have we made promises to God? And how often is it that we failed? Like we, we actually had good intentions, but we failed. Yeah, the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. And yet God already knows this. This is why the law, the promises, the contracts are never enough. Because there's something in us that needs to be transformed in order to be the people that God intends us to be. We continually fail. And even though we have been unfaithful towards God, God remains faithful to us. And Jeremiah is exposing that to the children of Israel, hey, you know all these promises you made with God, you didn't fulfill them. And yet because you made these promises with God, God, who's got to hold the bargain up, is going to have to do something about this. The children of Israel now are falling into captivity. The same consequences as everybody else because, again, what set them apart was the contract they had with God. And yet now this contract doesn't hold them up. And so what Jeremiah is exposing here is that the promises we made with God aren't going to keep us going. As many times as you make promises with God, it ain't going to keep you going. You, you can have good intentions. That's not going to keep you. I don't care how much mental fortitude you have, how much character, how, you know, your intentions, whatever it may be. I don't care how much you mean it in the moment that you say it. But when you make a promise with God, you understand that often you make promises that you're not capable of holding. And the funny thing about it is that even though we've made those promises that we're not capable of holding, somehow God who knows that loves us and finds a means by which we can still be in right standing with him even though we continue to fail in his eyes. How does a people 
who fail over and over again, how are they going to get into right standing with God? How does a people who fail over and over again get into a relationship with God? How does that happen? Well, Jeremiah is exposing it here. He's saying the problem is not that you didn't have good intentions. The problem isn't that you didn't you didn't mean it when you said it. The problem was that you couldn't keep up with what you said. Can I say that one more time? I know you've made promises to God. God, I'm going to do better. God, I'm going to be better. God, I won't do this again. God, I won't make this mistake. God, if you give me one more chance. God, just give me a chance this time. God, if you do this one thing, after you do this, then I promise I'll do it right. I'll do, I'll do it right. I'll live right. I won't make that mistake ever again. How often is it that we make promises to God that we can't keep? And yes, we have good intentions. Yes, we mean it deep down in our heart. But at the end of the day, we can't keep it. We make promises we can't keep because we're trying to do it by our own power, in our own ability, in our own facility. And yet God already knows it. God isn't asking you to make promises you can't keep. He's asking you to let him in to give you a new nature that allows you to live the way that he wants you to live. That's at the core what Jeremiah is exposing. So many things that's being exposed here in this text. But at the core, Jeremiah is exposing to Israel that this covenant is not enough for you. Because while the covenant was good, what the covenant did was expose that there's still evil in your heart. Exposes that your nature isn't good. And so if we're going to see God's people in the right standing with God, what needs to happen is a new nature. Yeah, Israel needs a new nature. I, I don't care how much a tiger wants to be a vegetarian. Tiger is never going to be a vegetarian. He's a new nature. And so now these promises that Israel has made that cannot keep. God is giving another means for them to keep it. And this is now what's happening now. There's a new covenant. And this new covenant is an establishing of a new nature. It's establishing of a new nature. I can't say this enough because I feel like I have to continue to beat this in. And I, I know there's one thing I wanted to point out from our last reading that I want to point out today. But I feel like I got to stay right here for a second. Too many people are trying to perform. We're trying to perform. And every time we fail, every time we get it wrong, we not only, oh God, I'm sorry, I, I messed up again. I wish I could do better. But then we leave with shame. And we leave with guilt. And we leave feeling like, man, we're just not good enough for God. There's some folks in here who believe that God is angry with them. You actually believe that. 
There's some people who here who don't understand that God is profoundly in love with you. He wants to be in relationship with you. And so many folks are still on this old covenantal thinking. I made a promise to God. And now I'm trying to keep this promise. But I keep failing. And even though I try to do the best I can, it's not good enough. But God never wanted your compliance. God wants your heart. Let me say that one more time. As much as you're trying to live right for God, to do right, to be right, as much as you're trying to be the best person you can be, and you keep failing over and over again, and you keep saying to yourself, I'm not good enough. How is God going to forgive me for this? What you fail to realize is what God didn't ask for was your performance. God asked for your heart. He wants your heart. He wants to be in relationship with you. He loves you. And because he loves you, he's not looking for you to perform. He's looking for you to be with him. Relationship changes everything. Everything. And yet we're still trying to perform for God. We're still trying to be the best people we can be. And here it is. Ready? Here's the kicker. There are those who may perform well and yet still don't know God and yet they fail. Churches are full of people who try to perform. And there's some people who are pretty good at it. I mean, relatively speaking. There's supposed to go, man, that's just a good person. I see that person. That person is just good. They they never do anything wrong. They get it all right. They, they're good. They're good at what you know, they just always do the right thing. And me, I'm always doing the wrong thing. They're always doing the right thing. Here's what's unfortunate. There's people who will do the right thing and still not know God. They'll, they, they, they'll make the right decisions. Ooh, they'll have wisdom and everything, but they won't know God. Because what God didn't want was your compliance. What God wants is you. Relationship changes everything. And we're so busy trying to live for God's approval and for God's acceptance. We fail to realize we already have his approval. Proof of that is on the cross. We're trying to live for God's love and yet God loved you even though you were still a sinner. We're trying to live to be people who will, you know, be in connection and communion with God. And God's like, I'm the one who moved first. When you didn't know me, when you even hated me, I was the one who came to you first. The problem is, is we're still trying to perform for something that God has already done. I don't know why I have to sit on this, but this is so important because there's some people that are still working through this, believing that somehow God is still mad with them, not realizing God is not mad with you. God is madly in love with you. When he died on the cross, he didn't just die for your sins. He died so that he can be in relationship with you. 
I think sometimes we think that God was just forgiving us of our sins, not realizing God just wanted to be with you. He had to die on the cross to do it. And there's so many folks that miss that. Not realizing relationship is what changes our nature. Relationship is what changes our heart. Let me give you an example. And I got to go. Wow, I'm I'm ranting. Y'all know I'm ranting. But I have to sit on this for a second. Relationship changes you. Not your mental ability or your passion or your... Yeah, those things can temporarily change what you do, but that doesn't change you. Relationship changes you. I'll give you proof. You ever had something you wanted to eat? I'll back that up. You ever had something you just hated, like food or a drink? Like you just, man, I hate this drink, or I hate this kind of food, or maybe it's an activity, something you just didn't like doing, or you weren't just feeling it. You weren't feeling it. It's like, man, I... I don't drink this and I don't eat this and I don't really go to these places. Like, it's just not my thing. But then all of a sudden you meet a person in your life who loves those things. And then all of a sudden you start trying the things that they love. And you start enjoying those things because it's not about the thing that you're enjoying. It's who you're enjoying that thing with. You can have a drink that you hate. Food that you wouldn't eat. Places that you wouldn't necessarily go. But because of the person you're with, you find enjoyment in it. This is how you change. Is when you start enjoying God. When you start enjoying him, not trying to perform for him, but just enjoying him. Your desires start to change. Your tastes start to change. The things you want to do start to change. The way you live starts to change. Not because, man, you know, I'm just, I feel like I'm a better person now. No, you already know you're a wrecked up, messed up person. But now you're with someone who just changes everything you want to do for yourself. It's all about relationship and intimacy with God. And the more you enjoy him, the more those things change. It's just like going to that restaurant. You would never go to that restaurant and eat. You know that. There's that place you would never go there to eat. But if it's with him, I'll go. You'll you'll never go. Man, you'll never go to that place. You know? Listen, I I am not a Victoria's Secret guy. I don't do Victoria's Secret at all. That ain't my thing. And I remember back in the day, I walked by, like, Victoria's Secret is not my thing. But then... I started dating my my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. And she'd walk into Victoria's Secret. And she'd start shopping around for stuff. And you know what? I started walking in there with her as well. Not because I enjoy Victoria's Secret. I got nothing to get out of Victoria's Secret. There ain't nothing there for me. But because she's there, I want to be there. And I think that's how it works with God. Is when... We're with him and we want to be with him. Where he is is where we want to be. And all of a sudden, whatever I wouldn't do before I start doing and the things I didn't want to do, I stop doing and things I do. And all of a sudden, my life begins to transform and change, not because I'm a better person, but because I'm enjoying 
the God who's greater than all things. Let's enjoy him. And what Isaiah, and I know, sorry, not Isaiah, but what Jeremiah exposes, we're going to come back to that. What Jeremiah exposes is that he wants to put the law on their heart and on their mind. He wants it to be on them. He wants to be their God and that they would be his people. That's all he wants. It's a marriage. That's all he wants. Stop trying to perform. Enjoy him. Tell you right now, when you enjoy him, you don't need to perform. And then you can stop performing. And then when you stop performing, all of a sudden you can start becoming. Let's enjoy him today. Dearly Father, I thank you that you brought us together, Lord, as we close out this time, Lord. I just pray that there are those of us here today, Lord, that are still struggling with how do we live right with you? Not realizing that only you can do that in us. Only you can transform it. Only by the power of your spirit can we be who you intend us to be. So, Father, teach us to enjoy you, to be in relationship with you. Teach us not to depend on our ability and our power, but, Lord, to depend on your spirit. Lord, walk with us today, each and every one of us, Lord God. Guide us and, Lord, lead us to the path of righteousness. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen.